All right, welcome back to another micro-materialism episode. I'm your host, Ramsey Issa, and today we're joined by a special guest from the University of Utah, Professor Bates. How's it going? Good, how are you? Pretty good. It's freezing here. It is. <laughs> we're in the Taylor shed, and it's it's freakishly freezing here, but we got the heater going, so hopefully it'll uh, it'll... It'll get a little bit warmer throughout the episode. So, uh, Jeff, you want to just uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? Yeah. So, I'm Jeff Bates. I'm a professor at the University of Utah, and my research is in polymer materials. And so, part of that, well, a lot of that is we're looking at the interfaces with different polymer materials in the environment and also with biological systems. Awesome. Okay. So, you're going to be super helpful for this episode because we are talking about polymers. Um, to set the stage, it's winter out here in, in Utah. There's snow everywhere. I get on Instagram. I see Taylor hiking up a mountain at 5 in the morning just to ski right back down. I turn on the TV. I see the Olympics in full blast. These skiers are just flying down these, down these slopes and doing backflips and front flips. And then the next clip I see is these professional athletes, these skiers, grabbing this brick of wax and just waxing the bottom of their skis. So as a material scientist, first thing that comes to my head, I'm just like, okay, well, it's obviously to improve performance. You know, what are they, what kind of material are they slabbing onto their, to their, uh, to the bottom of their skis to help them improve speed? So I do a little bit of a dive. I start Googling some stuff. The first thing that comes up is a statement from the International Ski Federation that talks about a fluorinated wax ban. So I'm like, okay, what you know, why are they banning fluorinated waxes? So they were set to ban it for the 2020 to 2021 racing season. So I start thinking, well, they're probably banning this because it has some environmental impact. I think back to an episode that we did on cooking materials where coatings on these pans were made of polyfluorinated compounds and you would end up ingesting some of it, which was terrible. But yeah, tell us a little bit about why these compounds are harming the ecosystem that we're skiing in? So first we need to understand that ski waxes are made out of paraffin materials. So paraffin materials are just short polymer chains of polyethylene. And so usually they're between, I mean, they, they can range, but they're usually between like maybe about 12 and maybe 37 carbon atoms long. And then they have just hydrogen coming off the sides of those. So because they're short chain polyethylene materials, that, may, that means that they're also phase change materials. So ski bases are made out of ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, which is really like high molecular weight, so really long chains and everything. So we're taking a short chain and, and applying it to a long chain material. And so because of this phase change behavior, all of a sudden we get um, temperature dependent properties that exist with the material. And so what they've done is they've added fluorinated substances into the paraffin materials and they're just trying to, to use those to make a hydrophobic material that's going to have a lower coefficient of friction. So, I mean, and it's not just fluorinated compounds, but there's mostly fluorinated com compounds in there. Yeah, so I did actually look at a few articles that talked about how the contact angle increases as you increase the concentration of fluorine in the material, which makes it more hydrophobic. So that, that makes sense. And you have that because as you're gliding down these slopes, the base of your ski and the powder essentially makes a, a layer of water that you're gliding on. You're not like really gliding on the snow. You're gliding on that, that water surface that's created through, through the friction, which 
It's pretty interesting. So when I start to think about how can we replace these additive fluorinated compounds in our waxes, I always try to think towards what nature does, right? So like oils are pretty hydrophobic. So that's the first thing that pops into my head. But as somebody who's worked on this stuff, what, what have you seen in, in industry or, or in your research? I mean, you can get hydrophobicity from a lot of different uh, structures, actually. So you can get them from different metals. In industry, they're replacing the fluorinated wax with colloidal metals. But I mean, also alkane groups, those like those functional groups themselves are hydrophobic. And if you look at, of course, we get stuff like the, fluor the fluorinated groups are going to be hydrophobic and then some of the ring structures. So if, we, if you get like a six-membered ring coming off of the, popping off the side of a polymer chain, those can also be hydrophobic depending on the conditions. Sorry, I should say that they're also, in addition to like just the chemical treatment, you can also do physical alterings to the material surface to get hydrophobicity as well. Like etching the surface? Yeah, you can etch the surface and grind it, yeah. Okay, so that increases the hydrophobicity of your uh, ski base? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. In our testing of ski waxes, when we look at the performance that, that we get, like the glide performance, it's actually worse if they're super hydrophobic. So if they get anywhere above like 110 degrees as the contact angle, then they actually don't perform as well. And so the best thing is actually to keep them like in this sweet spot between like 80 and maybe 110 degrees. So that actually technically means we don't need to have fluorinated substances in there. But the ski industry is just so used to having what they have and knowing how those things perform that they're kind of apprehensive to jump on any other bandwagon. I see. Interesting. So I actually came across an article by Carlson and Company. The title of the article was Ski Wax Use Contributes to Environmental Contamination by Per and Polyfluoroalkyl Substances, where they were looking at uh, the concentration of these polyfluorinated compounds at the start of like the starting line where you stand before you go down the slope and at the at the end of it. And they found the concentration was really high at the beginning, which makes sense, right? Because you're starting off with freshly waxed skis. And about four kilometers down, there essentially wasn't any more these fluorinated compounds in, in, in the soil, which I thought was pretty interesting. So, yeah. so we've just lost it all right at the beginning. And it's really that transition from like the coefficient of static, static friction to kinetic friction where you get the most abrasion off of your ski bases. I see. Yeah, they did. They did some pretty cool measurements where they like measured the the snow as well as like the soil and the water, and they found like pretty hefty concentrations of of these uh, polyfluorinated compounds. And then you start thinking about like, okay, well, this is pretty detrimental to the ecosystem if you have like animals, you know, picking it up and taking it to different areas, or if it's getting in the waters as well, start drinking out of that water. Yeah. But even technicians that work on this stuff, um, they were they were saying that it shows up in their organs, mm -hmm. which is pretty pretty scary stuff. Yeah, it'll show up in their organs for several months after they after they apply a wax treatment. And so, I mean, if you think about the people that are in a ski shop waxing skis all day long, I mean, that's just horrible for their health. And I mean, if you think about like, yes, it's you know it's bad for it to get into the snow and the watershed and everything because it gets into the whole food chain. We end up absorbing those things as well. Like the earth like isn't really a, a, an open system. It's a very closed system. Like if it goes one where, you know, one place it ends up somewhere else. And I mean, these materials, like they've been banned for, for very good reasons. I mean, they cause like birth defects. They, ca they cause all sorts of, I mean, en endocrine disorders and a lot of, a lot of 
harm to humans, but also, like you said, it accumulates in blood. And so, I mean, if you're just a hobby skier and you wax your own skis, your exposure probably isn't that bad. But, I mean, there have been, like, documentaries about factories that produce, we, we just call them PFAS materials, so PFAS. Yeah. So factories that produce these types of materials and the amount of birth defects that exist in the communities that are working in those factories is just, I mean, it's, it's intense. Yeah. So these are really bad. We should not be using these things. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we, we covered a little bit of, of that in, uh, in that cooking episode where I think they made a movie out of this as yeah. well, right? Yeah. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. I, I forget. So what is the disadvantage of getting rid of these polyfluorinated compounds? Like, you know, is there a performance uh, loss that, that occurs? Like if we try to replace these PFAs with a different type of material? Um, actually there, I mean, that's like one of the big questions though. Nobody really knows. Um, there are a lot of, um, I would say hypotheses or maybe like just urban legends, maybe (laughs) in in the ski industry. I mean, everybody's like, okay, we've always done this. Why are we going to, you know, do anything different than this? Let's take this and like with the fluorinated compounds and take it farther to see how, how awesome we can get these things. And one thing I just wanted to note was like in the Olympics, when somebody does any ski or a snowboard event that they're doing, they only use their their machine, you know, their, their board or their skis one time before they either get rewaxed or they've got another set of skis or another snowboard to use. It's already prepped for them. Wow. But anyway, I mean, so like when it comes to like the properties that we're getting from these materials, there are definitely absolutely 100% other solutions that could work. But it's just been this mindset of like, this is what works. We're not going to try anything different. And some people have, like there have been some really cool waxes, um, eco wax, for example, and pearl wax. I'm not endorsing them. I'm just saying like, <laughs> they have said, Hey, we want to make these things that are eco, eco-friendly. And in about 2018, maybe summer of 2018, the, um, the EPA went after all of the wax manufacturers in the, in the country because of this whole ski federation and the European Union was saying, hey, we're going to ban these fluorinated compounds. And so there's this, it's called the Tasca inventory. So they've said, okay, if you're making ski waxes with things that are found on the Tasca inventory, then you're in violation. So you need to stop right now. It's like a cease and desist type of thing. And so everybody was like, oh no, you know, just scrambling, trying to figure out what do we do? I mean, yes, all of our compounds are on this inventory, so we can't use them now. And so, I mean, it it did drive a lot of like, I guess, panic, but also innovation in the space. And pearl wax existed before that. But I mean, what they're doing is they're just mixing different plant-based waxes and, and just trying to get some sort of increased performance. And people like pearl wax. So I think that that is a really good step in the right direction. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So there are alternatives that are working. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing they're completely now banned from uh, the PFAs are completely banned from the Winter Olympics altogether. Um, I don't think that they're that they're banned from the Winter Olympics. Oh. I think that that like the like the actual championship types of I'm not sure. Like I, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I do know that it's it's banned for the competitive seasons, and it was it was banned in the 2019-2020 um, just regular hobby ski season. Um, so I mean they they everybody had to swap out their waxes immediately anyway so the these uh i guess these organic materials are they just like longer chains of hydrocarbons are they like um that are just more hydrophobic than what we've seen before i mean they can be they can be i mean it's it's just kind of i think 
in some ways it's almost just a mixture of having like a different, like a, I guess a, a distribution of different polymer chain lengths is also going to help give some of that advantage to them. But I mean, it's not just, you know, polymer chain lengths that they're looking at. I mean, I talked about the colloidal metals before. There's this whole concept of like silver and like, is it copper? And there's one other that are... Gallium, I heard. Yeah. Was it gallium? I think it was... Gallium was one of the ones that came up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so, like, adding these, like, as a suspension into ski waxes adds some level of, of hydrophobicity. And so they're keeping their waxes as, like, a proprietary secret, so nobody really knows what's happening with them. Um, so there's the idea that you could just suspend them in the wax and then apply them, and they would just kind of be distributed as you're, as you're waxing your skis. Yeah. But then there's also this idea that maybe they're creating, like, using a surfactant layer so they can actually embed them kind of into the paraffin, but it kind of dangled them off. So like with polymers, we're always dangling stuff off of the different yeah. polymer chains. We call those functional groups. So they're probably just functionalizing. The, I mean, they might be functionalizing the polymer with the surfactant and this almost like a micelle type of structure formed around the, the colloidal metal. I see. Okay, so knowing that, is there a difference in applying it with like a hot iron versus just like, cold waxing your your skis i mean i think most people use a hot iron and if you know if you're really i guess kind of nitpicky about it then you'll want them to use a hot box and make sure that it gets on there and you and, and you get the performance that you want nice yeah i used to so i used to skateboard and i would um i would wax curbs with just like old candles that from the house you yeah. know for for that yeah. um performance and you just grind on these on these curbs, but um, I don't know if I was doing much damage to the ecosystem because I don't know what animals are <laughs> eating off of curbs, right? No, I mean, it, uh, well, and I mean, it would, it would actually still cause damage, but if you're using candle wax, that's not going to be bad for the ecosystem because it doesn't have these fluorinated compounds in it. Okay, well, then and that's actually one of the problems when you are waxing and you're using hot wax that you're volatilizing these things. And so you're breathing them in. And so you can like, you can actually get more intake into your body when you breathe them in than when you eat them. So anyway, that that's, that's why it's bad for, I guess not safe for people like ski techs. I see. That makes sense. So from, from what I've been kind of looking up and reading, it seems like you want to lower the surface energy of, of that ski base, right? So whatever material you could put on there that lowers the surface energy that doesn't allow you to make too much contact with that wet surface as you're gliding down the slope. So looking at materials that would have a lower surface energy when applied to the ski bases would be the the way to go. I mean, maybe. So here's also another idea. <laughs> it's like, as a materials engineer, I mean, we kind of look at like different material properties. And so like we do a lot of, of testing of waxes based treatments in my in my research group and and I have also read I think every single published article scholarly published published article about ski based treatments um, and I actually wrote a review article about it but the thing is like there are no consistent testing methods no consistent properties that people are testing for and I mean everybody is claiming oh it's the hydrophobicity but you have to think about yes maybe hydrophobicity has something to do with it but what about the coefficient of friction what about the hardness of the material? So, like, there's this idea that ski wax hardens ski bases. It does not. It cannot. We're using these really short-chain waxes, paraffin waxes, onto a hard base. Like, ultra-high molecular polyethylene is going to be the hardest that that material is going to be. 
So, and if you think about like the history of skiing, I mean, people started skiing on wood, wood skis. So that's probably why people started waxing their skis is because you've got wood and wood is going to be absorbing all of the moisture that you're skiing on. And so they're like, well, let's kind of create a hydrophobic barrier to make it so that the, so that the water doesn't give us more drag. Because if you have the water that has absorbed into the wood material, then you're going to have just that weird, yeah, it's damp and it's going to create crystals on the bottom of your skis. So that's probably why ski wax was invented in the first place. So it's a cultural thing. It probably is. (laughs) And I mean, and the truth is most people, like just regular old people, like they don't ski their, their, they don't wax their skis very often. So they're, they're essentially skiing on naked bases anyway. But also like, sorry, this is a tangent, but um, like if you think about skiing being a high abrasive sport, then you're also like that, your ski base is abrading off, which is actually contributing to microplastic formation. So you get these little microplastics that enter the, the water stream as well, or the, the watershed as well. And those can also cause lots of endocrine disorders. So, I mean, there's like a lot of, a lot of stuff that could go wrong yeah. with skiing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with skiing. It's, it's awesome. But I mean, there's just a, a lot to consider. And so like, I guess from a materials perspective, I'm always like, okay, what are the actual properties of the material that are going to drive where, where the innovation should go. So in my opinion, I think what should happen is all of us that care about skiing and material properties and all that, we should say, okay, here is like a, like like a battery a, of tests. Yeah, that we've like done. Like, yeah, here are all of the different properties that these materials have. What else has those same things? And then we can kind of drive some design innovation that way. Right now, like we, if we test stuff in the lab under lab conditions, it doesn't even compare to glide performance. Sometimes we'll make really awesome things in the lab and it's really crappy when you take it up to ski it. But also it's because we're testing under lab conditions. We've got wet, we've got cold, we've got like humidity, like all sorts of like, there are, you know, 12, I think different structures of snow, like, you know, different crystal structures of snow. And so like those are going to, to play a role in the glide performance of yeah, and I actually did come across that as well, where you have like certain types of waxes for certain conditions, and it's all based on like the crystallinity of mm-hmm. the snow, which I thought was actually kind of really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is, and we've done some characterization of that, and we, like, the, and we always look at the temperature dependent properties. So we take everything at lab temperature and then compare it. So if we're looking at the coefficient of friction, we use a tribometer with temperature controls. So we say, okay, here's what it is at room temperature, and then we bring it down. We say, what's the coefficient of friction? If you're going, if you're going to test this on snow, and we actually use a pin-on-disc system, yeah, where our pins are ice, and then we use the disc is our is just the ski base that we treat with different ski waxes. So we test it in there under those conditions, and so we can see that there is a huge change in the coefficient of friction when you change the temperature. Okay, and is that because of the surface, or we are at, at this point is that uh, is the ski base waxed when you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So our so we're testing the UHM and. UHMWPE that has been waxed with different wax treatments. Okay. We've been testing them across the board. Like we were looking at Nordic gliding waxes, the fluoro-free alpine waxes, and then regular fluorinated alpine wax. So just to kind of get, okay, here is everything. Here's what it all looks like. This is why these might perform really well. This is why these might not perform very well. This can kind of create like a little database about it with that. For a wax or for, I guess, a condition where it's super cold, what type of waxes would you be looking at? Like, properties wise i mean that's a good question there's this idea that low fluorinated waxes are better for cold conditions and high fluorinated are better for warmer conditions and if you think about that from a i guess a logical perspective um it kind of makes sense because if we have 
really warm conditions, we're going to have more moisture. Uh huh. So, so we want to kind of increase that interfacial energy between the two. So I haven't really asked much about the surface morphology. How does that play a role in uh, performance? I mean, that's actually, it's a really interesting question um, because there are, I mean, so I, I kind of talked about these three uh, characters, oh, I guess, pro, you know, material properties that we, we like to investigate. But you also have to think about like how the surface morphology can affect the, the coefficient of friction, the hydrophobicity, all of that stuff. So the surface morphology is going to play a huge role in that. And so we've done a lot of characterization on the surface morphology. And you know what's really funny about it is like, okay, all, all of the different uh, ski manufacturers have like these really pretty grind patterns that they put into their skis. Yeah. And that's really nice. And I mean, it does play a role because they're always kind of going like from the front axis to the back, you know, to the front of the, what is it called? Tip to tail of the ski. Yeah. And cool. so like they, they're always aligned that way. They don't ever go like cross grooves because that like that would cause like almost like a sandpaper like or like a nail oh. file type of effect. Yeah. So, I mean, like the skis themselves have like, you know, a, a surface structure attached to them or associated with them. But I mean, the more you ski on them, like this is actually like what we have found is really interesting is like Phantom, for example, that was made by DPS that we we helped them create. Um, like the biggest problem that people have with it is once they ski on it a bunch of times, all of a sudden their bases look, they call them dry, which there's no such thing as a dry polymer, but <laughs> yeah. they are calling them dry because they look dry. They look gross, like, like hands that need lotion or something. Wow. And so a lot of these ski wax uh, treatments, ski base treatments are almost just cosmetic to make them look nice and shiny and dark. Yeah. And so, what, you know, like with polymers, you're going to get like with abrasion, like you're going to get chains of polymer just breaking off. And so they call them hairy ski bases. And so um, you do get some surface morphology with that. So like the question is, how does the surface mor morphology that exists at any stage of the waxing process, how does that affect the glide performance? And that really hasn't been studied very much. Because all of the scientific studies, they want to have them really nice and controlled. And they're looking at, okay, the, look, here's this nice set of skis that we just barely waxed with this wax treatment. Let's try it under like lots of different ski, uh, ski conditions. But they don't say, okay, let's not treat the ski bases. <laughs> let's just see what happens with them as we just keep skiing on them over and over again. So that is a really good question that really hasn't been explored very much in the industry. So say, say you were to, uh, to dive in and explore it, what, what type of characterization methods would you, uh, would you do? I mean, I think that it's really important to understand. Um, I would say definitely like, what does the morphology look like? So we might use like profilometry or even like an, an atomic force mic microscope to see. Although for using stone grinding, the theory is that they're too deep to be able to detect with their atomic force force microscopy so that's okay um but like i would look at a profile and at a surface view on uh, using scanning electron microscopy and then we could also use i mean xps could be used if we wanted to see if there were different elemental components that would that are that might be present in the ski bases themselves and xps is usually giving us uh, the compounds at the surface right yeah yeah exactly okay. okay so we talked about you know some of the different characterization methods some of the different ap approaches that they've taken, how they're trying to replace these polyfluorinated compounds. So where's the industry going? And what, what, do, what do we see, you know, in the next, say, 10 years? Well, I, I like that question. And I think it's really nice because, um, I mean, like DPS, you know, when they asked us to, to create the phantom treatment for them, 
I mean, they were kind of like the forerunners of all of this. I mean, there were, there were some people, some rumblings in the, in the industry that were like, hey, we think we can make permanent ski wax, and here's our solution. Everybody go try it out. We want, you know, they're trying to get endorsements and everything. And so DPS was a lot more strategic, and they said, well, okay, let's take a step back. Let's understand the materials engineering of ski bases before we get into any of this stuff. So it was kind of like expensive learning, I guess, for them just to kind of go through that process of, learning but what's been really cool for me and i think also reassuring like i always am like i don't want to be the only person researching in this space i want other people to contribute and do research so that it's like this friendly competition that we're building and we're like okay let's make something that's really good and benefits people the the environment everything so there have been just amazingly several little pop-up groups that have, have started researching more and i think that this whole epa shakeup has made people you know well all of the all the different wax manufacturers especially say okay wait why are we doing this why do we do it this way but i think it really needs to be driven by consumers and more importantly it needs to be driven by competitors if the competitors can say hey don't use this on my base anymore like we really need to drive some innovation here that's actually what i think would cause the most because we all benefit from the competitors doing well then it's like oh this works really well for that person Let's go ahead and make this available to the masses. And, you know, this person uses this, this, this wax or something. And so, I mean, there's a lot of innovation that's coming. Of course, we all have to look at the fluorinated compounds. But I also think that holistically, we should look at what are ski bases made out of anyway? Like, do we need to have them made out of ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, UHMWPE, or should we make them out of something else? Maybe something that's a harder material? Because actually, we've found that the hardness of the material actually plays a much stronger role in the glide performance. In terms of than, improving it? Yeah, in, in terms oh, of improving wow. it. And that's actually what I think the colloidal metals are doing, is they're adding some level of hardness to the waxes, oh. not the hydrophobicity, even though the concept is that they're trying to, trying to, to, to get the hydrophobicity of fluorinated compounds without using fluorinated compounds. So maybe then just innovating the ski base itself will improve... The whole gliding. Then we wouldn't need to wax our skis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I mean, th this is such an important topic, I feel like, in Utah because everybody sneeze, is sneeze, everybody skis and snowboards. It'll make a, a good environmental impact here in our backyard, which is... Yeah, well, and across the world. I mean, there are so many countries across the world that, like, they have a lot of, like, a huge influence on the ski industry and, you know, the, the resorts and there's just a lot everywhere. So, like, especially if we can, you know, if we can impact these, I think it would it'd be in a good way. I think that, that would be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This becomes a lucrative uh, solution for investors to probably invest in. And the guy who comes up with, you know, the best solution, most environmentally friendly, it'll pay off. So, hopefully, they do start investing in solving this problem. Yeah. I hope they do. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for coming on and, and, and schooling us on our uh, on our ski materials and our waxes. It was uh, a super fun topic. Thank you for uh, coming, and we look forward to hopefully having you again sometime. Well, thank you for having me. Sweet. Thank you. See you guys.